Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hey, what's up, partner? How's it going? Well, hello there, Dr. A. How are you? I'm fine. How was your week? My week was good. I mean, it's a, a new month. The year is rolling along. It's now May. Can you believe it? And my week was just really, you know, busy as usual. But I'm here. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Okay, so today we're trying something different. This is our first what we call Ride Along when we bring in a special guest to do the show with us. And without further ado, our first guest for our Ride Along is Ajile F. Brown Esquire. Full disclosure, uh, I met this young lady way back in college at Morgan State University. Uh, Ajile is uh, got her BA and her MA from Morgan State University. Uh, she majored in political science as an undergrad. She got her master's degree, uh, city and regional planning, and she has a law degree from the University of Maryland. I am now gonna let her talk a little bit about herself so you can get familiar with her before we start this. Good morning, Dr. A. Good morning, Kim. Thank you for having me today. This should be fun. Um, as Shantae said, we met in college in 87 and been friends ever since, long, steady friendship since 1987. Um, I graduated from Oregon, went to law school. After law school, I clerked in the Orphan School for Baltimore City, went out and practiced for a while at a firm in suburban Maryland. And then uh, I was um, given the opportunity to actually go solo. So I went solo after that. And it was probably a good run. And during that time um, I was practicing solo, I began teaching adjunct at different schools in Maryland. I've taught at DeVry University. I've taught at um, Keller Graduate School of Management. I taught at Anne Arundel Community College and Howard Community College, all very Ver varied versions of business law in the, at those schools. So I've taught probably the last 13 years. Um, and then I had an opportunity to come back to the Orphan School for Baltimore City as a court administrator. So now I work as an administrator full-time. I still practice part-time 
um, and I do mostly estates and probate because the Orphans Court is actually the probate court for Baltimore City, and that is where I work full time. But I also do estate cases outside of the Baltimore City jurisdiction, and I have recently taken on some family cases. So we'll see how it goes. But yes, overall, I'm a practicing attorney. I also work as an administrator and I am divorced and the mother of two sons. My oldest is 23 and my youngest is 15. Okay, so welcome aboard. And as always, we start our show off with a wow for the week and that stands for words of wisdom. Uh, so this week our wow comes from none other than Jay-Z, AKA uh, Sean Carter. Um, he says, I think relationships are broken up because of the media. Now, being a uh, rhetorical and media scholar, I get what he says. Um, we conduct our lives uh, based on what we're taught and how we are indoctrinated. And the media plays a huge part in that because uh, we read, we listen, we look and sometimes you know norms of society are showcased on television and you know we start to think in the way that, uh, how media presents things to us so i i get what he's saying uh about relationships are broken up because of the media um there's a lot of other reasons but the media is probably the foundation what say you kim I wonder if that's why uh, he and Beyonce sort of keep their relationship out of the public eye. Because um, they could make a gazillion dollars if they did a reality show. But I can attest to the fact that many relationships that have been um, shown and exposed uh, through reality shows have broken up. There are many marriages that we can point to from some of the various uh, reality shows that didn't make it. And so I wonder if that's what he's saying. What about you, Ajila? Um, I think the media is only part of it. I think it's the access that we have to people that we normally would not have access to. Like you're seeing things, the celebrities, when we were growing up, celebrities are people, we had to put their poster on the wall and you wondered what they were like. You wondered what their voice sounded like outside of the record because you never really heard them. And if there was an interview, you wanted to see what that person actually was like and how they spoke and what their thoughts were. But now it's almost instantaneous. It's, it's every day. So I think it gives us kind of a sense of... Um, connectedness to people, but it also gives you a false sense because people then begin to feel like they know you. And so you, you can touch whoever you want to touch and in, in five seconds on your phone, it becomes a thing where the media believe that you can have these relationships, even if it's virtual, that we just didn't have access to before. So it doesn't give you the opportunity to want to commit or to be dedicated to any one thing because you're always on to the next thing. You always think there's something better. That FOMO, fear of missing out, that's what I think people chase because we have so much access to so many things that we didn't have access to before. Yeah, I I, I would go on to say this. I don't think he's just talking about celebrity. I think he is talking about everybody. 
Yeah, I agree. I say everybody too, because I think people spend so much time on the phone that they feel connected to people that they normally, even, and I do, I mean, in our everyday relationships, I now see people that I went to high school with on a daily basis on Facebook where I didn't, if we didn't have that, I would never see them again. Like we're used to that connection now. The people I went to college with that outside of homecoming, I would never see, but now I see them every day through social media. Right. And let us move on. All right. So before we get into what's going on, we will start with our plug, our plugs today. Our product is the Yeti. And our new partner is going to tell us a little bit about that. Can you see my Yeti? Yeah. So a Yeti is, um, they, it's actually a sporting goods company and they make great things if you're out into outdoor stuff. Like you can get um, anything related to camping and uh, coolers and all kinds of stuff that relate to camping. But I think sports moms or a football mom like myself made Yetis really popular. If you go to a game, you'll see women walking around and everybody has a Yeti because it is, um, and I don't drink coffee. So in my Yeti, it's usually filled with water, um, but you can it keeps things cold if you put cold things in there. It keeps things hot if you put hot things in um, water or liquid in your Yeti. And it is so cool because it, they come in, you can customize it. It comes in great colors. You see, I have my initials customized on my Yeti, so it's very personal. I pick one of my favorite colors, which is the Tiffany Blue. And but it comes in an array of colors, and you know it's been popularized because now Yeti makes wine coolers. So you can <laughs> you can buy these little tumblers, these wine tumblers, and you get it in your any color. You can get your sports team on it because you can customize it to whatever you want. And um, it's funny because it goes to how football moms or sports moms are, you know, sitting in their Honda Odyssey sipping on wine, watching their kids play the sport. <laughs> so they just cater to, you know, who to their clientele where I, I have a big one, but I have a smaller one too that I carry. But this one um, I use for water, but they do have the wine tumblers, which are smaller and more discreet if you want a little more than water in your cup. Really? <laughs> and they sell it at the liquor store? No, no, no. These are um, sporting goods. So they sell it wherever you like. Um, I think here you can get it at oh, Dick's Sporting oh, oh, Goods. Okay. So they, they sell a cup that's shaped like a wine tumbler. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It is, but there's yeah. no wine in it. You put your No, 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 no. It's, yeah, okay. you fill it up with what you choose. Oh, but it is actually called, it's a tumbler. And you okay. can have the customized. They have them um, where you can get your sports teams or it, what, some of them. They make good gifts because you can say mom or dad or whatever. And so I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Let us move on. So what's going on today in our world? Uh, we are going to start off with an oldie but goodie. And that is Justice Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow. So what say you, partner? I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I mean, we knew that where there's smoke, there's fire. And I was anticipating that more and more stuff is going to be revealed about Justice Clarence Thomas's indiscretions on the highest court in our land. Now we are learning that Harlan Crow, this billionaire GOP mega donor, 
paid the tuition for Clarence Thomas's grandnephew. Now, this is um, his nephew, his grandnephew. His name is Mark Martin, and he has been raising this uh, his nephew as his own son since he was six years old because his father was incarcerated. So Mark Martin went to Hidden Lake Academy, a private boarding school in Georgia. And we found out that Harlan Crow paid his tuition to the tune of $6,000 a month. And over four years, that could be as much as $150,000 that Harlan Crow was paying. And Justice Clarence Thomas did not disclose this. Now, Mark Martin also ended up going to Randolph-Macon, uh, which is a military academy. And that was in Virginia, Randolph-Macon Academy. And so all of these payments um, added up to about $150,000. And Clarence Thomas did not disclose this, but he disclosed a $5,000 payment that another friend had paid towards his grandnephew's tuition payments. And so he knew that's evidence that Clarence Thomas knew that he had an obligation to disclose this information, and yet he chose not to disclose it. And again, I sound like a broken record, but this is just unacceptable. It's unethical and it erodes the public trust. How can we have confidence in our institutions if this kind of under the table backdoor shenanigans are going on? It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. And then the other thing is Clarence Thomas is not, he's by no means poor. So he could have made these payments himself. There's no reason why uh, a man who is reportedly worth $24 million needs to be accepting this money from a billionaire. And, and that's over yeah. as an associate Supreme Court justice, he also has a salary of $268,000 dollars a year, which is nothing to sneeze at. So he could have easily afforded these payments. So again, what did he do to, to be worth $24 million? Cause he's been a Supreme court justice for a long time. Well, I know he wrote memoirs and you can write books. Yeah. And oh, he so has, that's a lot of money outside of his salary. Yeah. Investments and who, who, who else, you know, no, I mean, who, who knows what else, yeah. Well, as, as a member of the, the judiciary, the judiciary is supposed to know, like that's the point of the disclosures. Every right. year they have to fill out these annual disclosures. And he he understands fully that you have to disclose everything and to leave anything out. And he can't, even, you know, it's, it's a play on whether he's, he's saying this boy was not his son so he didn't have to disclose it but the types of gifts he were he was receiving from this one particular friend he just said he the guy was his friend mm -hmm. um i have a son that's in private school and um i don't have friends that just come around and donate tuition <laughs> <Okay>. payments <laughs> and tuition payments are you know that's significant so i would say um 
he actively knew and purposely neglected to disclose the information for whatever reason. And the fact is that because he's Republican, Republican leaning, he will get away with this because we have a Republican Congress and they won't they won't pursue this in any way. Well, according to a New York Times article and who is this written by uh, Charlie Savage? Mm -hmm. uh, Clarence is uh, I'm sorry, Justice Thomas. Uh, Mark Paletta, his good friend, said that uh, in 1978 law that says judges must disclose gift, gifts to dependent children who are defined as a son, daughter, stepson, or stepdaughter. Right. So they're saying like he he can that he didn't do anything, and I think that's U.S. Code. Uh, 13104 um why did, why did he disclose the other one i don't That's i don't but i'm just saying it says that he did what this law says is he didn't have to do that so okay, that's good. That's just good lawyering. Like we, we we played a definition game in the practice. So you <laughs> you read the code and then you figure out a way for either it okay. to apply to your situation or to not apply. So it's just good lawyering. He understands if this if he has raised this child as a son in his household for ten years that you would err on the side of side of caution and avoid the uh, appearance of impropriety mm -hmm. and disclose any payments you would receive in for the benefit of the child. One and. Two, Two, he also um, received his mom's house was paid for by this guy or purchased by this guy. So it wasn't just the tuition payments. There were other significant financial contributions that this guy made to Justice Thomas's life. And I mean, if someone wanted to buy my mom's house or pay my kids tuition or, you know, gave the wife money, too. Yeah. And the wife is a certified nut. So we, we get where that's going from. And Clarence I mean, Thomas, it, go ahead. No, go ahead, Kim. I was going to say Clarence Thomas is the legal guardian for his grandnephew. So he may not technically be a son, daughter, but he's a legal guardian. And you cannot argue that these tuition payments were made on behalf of Mark Martin, because at the end of the day, a child is not responsible for paying their own tuition. It's going to be the parent or the legal guardian who's responsible for that. So at the end of the day, these payments equal more money in Clarence Thomas's pocket because that's money he did not have to pay. Do you think, you know, minds of, of that state, do you think that they um, talked about this prior to the donation of the money? Whether who talked about it? Clarence like, Thomas? Yeah, Clarence Thomas and Harlan. And how else would his friend know? No, no, I'm saying like they're thinking about is this legal? Can we do this or can we not? And they find, I don't even, I can't even say this is a loophole because this law, you know, I know what you're saying, G, like things are manipulated, but if you read that code, it does, it doesn't put everything in. So I'm wondering why, for one, like who, I guess he is the grand nephew, but would you say in the house, do you introduce him that way for 10 years? You've been raising him. Do you say this is my grand nephew, you know, or do you say he this probably, is my son? Yeah, he probably held him out as his son. 
I'm sure. He may, have, he may have called him his nephew, but his nephew who lives with him full time and you're raising as your child, I would argue would be defined as a dependent and any benefit that is given to a dependent of yours who lives in your household, whose permanent address is the same address as yours. I think you would be required to disclose. But I mean, we can play the game. That's I think it's just lawyering. I think that's what we do. You look at a code, you find a definition. Oh, well, technically, you know, they had Bill Clinton. He argued what the definition of it is or this. Right. You know, like right. it's just ridiculous. Like we we know what it means on the surf. We just plain language, simple things that people understand to be true. However, if you want to lawyer it up, we can argue for two hours about what me what it means to be a dependent child of a person. Right. Right. Or the son or stepson of the person. And at the end of the day, this just has the appearance of impropriety. And the Supreme Court justices should be held to the highest ethical standards. I'm a federal government employee. I have to clear through our office of general counsel whether I can go to a dinner that's worth probably $100. I have to, I have limitations on the value of a gift that I can receive, receive yeah. from a carrier. Yeah, but when you, when you, I just, regulate, I, so. I jump in because when you say this, like you're talking about a judge, like the highest judge, in the land, like you don't think he knows this? Yeah, he does. That's what makes it more egregious. Exactly. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about this before. Like it might, it, it the appearance of impropriety, I understand. But that doesn't matter when it comes down to the 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 legality of it, right? If it's not illegal from what he did, and I know you're shaking your head, but I'm just saying you no, both because, attorneys. Yeah, if because the law states it boldly, like. But well, we're held to a higher standard. That's the, the that line about to avoid the appearance of impropriety is a part of every ethical tenet that we learn as attorneys, and it is drilled in your head every day that you practice. If you're in the active practice of law, you understand that. And he was, I think, a federal government employee before when he worked with Anita Hill. It, he he worked in those avenues. So he's heard this forever. He's filled out those disclosure forms for at least 20 plus years. I, he's been on the bench longer than that as a Supreme Court justice. So, you know, to say he wouldn't understand, he, you, for him to not disclose, he would actively have to go out of his way to find the code that would allow him not to disclose. So it probably happened in, in reverse. Like he didn't just, oh, I forgot. He had to actively go out his way to say, I don't want to disclose these things. And how can we get away with it? Because as an attorney for so long and as a justice for so long and having to disclose everything for so long, he understands what the obligations are. And it's just like presidential candidates, they don't have to disclose their tax forms and their tax records, but they do it because it's a it's a common practice. And it is it, it's it's an indication that this person is being is being as transparent as possible. They have every intention to to act in an ethical manner. So they're disclosing this information voluntarily. And then Donald Trump comes, comes along and he's like, no, I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it just flies in the face of being an upstanding ethical public servant. 
you should voluntarily I, want to disclose this information. But I think it, it, it takes it to another step because he is legally obligated to disclose. So it's not just a practice and pattern. It is he is legally obligation, obligated to make these disclosures and he chose not to. Well, no, I don't think it was it was required. It's not. And that's it what is on arguing. The, on the disclosure forms. I'm saying he's he's legally obligated to disclose his financial connections. Now, he's saying this doesn't fall into one of those connections that he has to disclose. However, when you your comparison to presidential candidates who release their tactics, taxes, that's just pattern and practice. There's no statute that has any obligation for them to disclose anything. It's just been pattern and practice. Okay, right, and that's why right. Donald Trump decided he didn't want to okay, do that. Right, right. But with judges, you do have an obligation to make these disclosures. He's just arguing that this is one disclosure that doesn't fall under my obligation, which, you know, True. And yeah. that lifetime appointment means nothing will really happen because he'll get up tomorrow with the same job. Like he I, has a lifetime appointment. I guess the point that I'm trying to make with that is I'm saying he should want to voluntarily disclose it, even if he's not legally obligated right. to disclose it. You see right. what I'm saying? Right. As a an associate justice on the highest court in our land, you should bend over backwards to try to disclose every possible Everything. thing that you, you know, can disclose so that people will know people will have the confidence in our institutions to know, OK, these are ethical, upstanding people of high character and you know what I mean? That That's so really sweet, but I feel like the rules apply to people. The rules apply to the people they want the rules to apply to. And when they no longer want the rules to apply, they just change the rules. So right. it's not. I, that's how I we see said it. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how. Right. In an ideal world, that's what right. we would have. Yeah. We, yeah. So again, I, I, it makes you lose respect. We lose some respect for the Supreme Court, that we, these are the kinds mm -hmm. of things that are happening with our justice. People, those, those right-leaning voters, they're excited. They're like, oh, this is great. He gets to do what he wants to do and buck the system. And, you and know, he's not gonna... supported him. All the people jumping over the wall at the Capitol, it's, it's just how they see the world. Right. And, and he's not, he's never going to voluntarily resign as I think he should. Um, but because I, I believe he's a MAGA Republican and in the tradition of Donald Trump, they're never going to give up. I mean, he's still saying that he won the election. So they're, they're never going to give up. They're never, never going to concede and he will never voluntarily resign. But that's what he nope. should do if he's not impeached. But like you said, because we have a Republican uh, Congress, he'll never be impeached. Yeah. And let us move on. Hit that button. <laughs> Hit that button. <laughs> All right. As we move on to our next topic, we're going to talk about uh, a brother from Detroit named Robert Williams who was locked up for 30 hours for like false facial recognition. Hmm. Who wants to start us off? Because this is a lot. I, know. I, I only have a little bit to say, so I'm just I'm going to listen more than I speak. But um, because I think the articles weren't detailed enough for me, I guess my lawyer brain asked a lot of questions as I was reading articles. Um, what like how does he how, how does it get to that? Like they issued a, I guess, an arrest warrant for him and then they go to his house and pick him up. And then okay, so here, here, here's what happened. OK, from what we can gather yeah. from this uh, article about it um, in 2018, 
a Shinola store, with a Shinola is a watch brand. So a Shinola store video camera captures someone stealing watches. So that was in 2018. Then two years later, out of nowhere, Robert Williams was arrested and jailed for 30 hours for a crime he didn't commit because they said he was the one on the video camera based on this facial recognition, uh, uh, artificial intelligence technology. Technology. Yeah, it recognized that his face was the one on the video camera. So basically, well, let's go back. Artificial intelligence is defined as the simulation of human intelligence processes by machines, especially computer systems. So basically, this uh, facial recognition technology is taking the place of, I guess, routine police investigation where they can sort of, you know, look at a picture and say, okay, this person matches the pic- matches the picture. So they are relying on this artificial intelligence to scan this video camera uh, footage and say, oh, this is Robert Williams, let's go arrest him. And he's like, what are you talking about? I wasn't even in the store in 2018. Last time I visited this store was 2014. Right. And so the scary part to me is, I, I just think, again, this is just like for me, the death penalty, uh, mandatory minimums, uh, jail sentences, it should be abandoned because it is always it always negatively impacts black people. And so it's the same thing here. I mean, it's this is we don't need any more tools that are going to over police and over incarcerate black people. And that's where where I see this going. So it's got to go even. Um, the godfather of artificial intelligence, his name is Jeffrey Hinton. Um, it, he just confirmed that he, he left Google because he wants to speak about the dangers of this technology that he helped to invent. Like he helped to develop artificial intelligence. He left Google and stepped down because he wants to say, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, this technology has, it can do a lot of good but it's also very dangerous. So that's what he's saying. So if he invented it and he's trying to tell us it's bad, I believe him. And so I think that, I hope that he, this Robert Williams prevails in his suit against the Detroit Police Department because now he's suing for all the embarrassment and all the trauma he suffered because of this false imprisonment. So what do you think? Uh, I think it's scary, too, um, because I guess a lot of us, our worst fears are to be um, falsely incarcerated. Yeah. And, you know, when you go to jail, you know, you can be in jail for like what they say, like 72 hours and nobody knows your whereabouts. Um, they can hold you. I, I think it's 72 hours. I might be wrong on the math on that. But. That's frightening because people around you are going to be looking for you. Maybe they know to, some people may know to check the local precinct and say, do you have an individual by the name of, and if you call the cops, I think the cops will look in to that first and then tell, but it's still a scary situation. Um, There's a, um, 
I had just started. There is a um, special on Netflix called, um, I think it's called Code Bias. And it talks about this, about um, artificial intelligence. And it works both ways, like how it recognizes, you know, the closeness of people uh, that are minorities. And then it also talks about how um, it doesn't take African-Americans uh, into consideration when they're doing things that are like beneficial with AI. So I haven't watched all of it. I tried to watch this for the show, um, but I only got through like the first 30 minutes of it, but it, it definitely was good. I just was a little, little tired. I what think that the oh, code bias. Code I think the technology has been around for a minute and it's been used in other ways because when Freddie Gray was murdered um, and the riots that ensued afterwards and there was a lot of looting and things. And so um, there was video, a lot of video. And so what the police used was that same face recognition technology to identify the looters and then went and rounded up hundreds of people based on that technology and arrested them for you know various crimes related to the riots after Freddie Gray's death. And there were lawsuits about that because the right to privacy, whether this was an illegal search and seizure, whether it affects your Fifth Amendment right, all of that. And so there's still active litigation about the, the use of the technology itself, because was that an, an illegal search for the, the gentleman who was um, identified and then arrested. Um, but it was it was effectively used after Freddie Gray's murder in the in with the riots. But it's so amazing that they could only arrest 100 people after the January 6th riots <laughs> at the Capitol. And they didn't use the technology to identify the thousands and thousands because it's there like the technology now. Um, I heard the one doctor say you can you can have a satellite in the in outer space that can look at a dime on the ground and tell whether it's face down or face up. Mm -hmm. So the technology is definitely there to identify a person. It's just how it's used. And I think it also reflects um, the differences ethnically that they have to be able to identify us, you know, and I think there's some bias in that, but um, it, it, it exists and they've used it when they yeah, want using it over 20 years they did mm -hmm. it to identify possible terrorists and cells yeah. that are in the country especially at the airport um yeah, yeah it has been going on but like, i forgot the airport yeah, yeah. the airport I, mm -hmm. i'm i'm glad this uh gentleman is uh back home i hope everything works out for him and his family yeah. let us move on All right. Yeah, I like all of these transitions. <laughs> so this one, Joy Neely's death. Uh, I'm sorry, it's no K in it. It's N E E L Y. Uh, but I just want to show you this because of the chokehold. Uh, Mr. Penny, who is 24 years old, has this guy, in. and then there were two other people. You can see uh, the guy with the hat and the guy standing behind 
I'm sorry. Let me speak into the mic. The guy with the hat and the guy that's standing behind him assisted. Uh, I think his name is Daniel Penny, um, who is a former Marine or a Marine. I mm. think, 24 years old. Um, and uh, this. This is real big in New York and across. It's, it's getting across the country, too, because um they're talking about mental health issues and somebody who has mental health issues should not be slain. Um, so what do y'all say? Well, to just paint a picture of what happened. So we're on a New York subway train and Jordan Neely is basically an unhoused young man. I believe he's relatively relatively young, probably in his 20s, right? And 30, but go ahead. 30, okay. And he's he's relatively well known um, on the train because he was a Michael Jackson impersonator. And if you see a picture of him, he's rather slight of build, kind of like Michael Jackson, like kind of slim. Um, and he can do the dance movements and all of that. So this particular day, he got on the train and he must have had a um, emotional breakdown. And he was just yelling about how he was hungry and he's thirsty and he's he doesn't care if he goes to jail. And basically he's ready to die. So this 24 year old military veteran took it up upon himself to interpret that as everybody is now, um, you know, under some type of threat from Jordan Neely because of what he said. Nobody offered him any water. Nobody offered him anything to drink. They just basically uh, subdued him and put him in this, in, in this chokehold. And there were two other gentlemen that were assisting like by holding his hands and things of that nature to keep him from trying to defend himself and get out of the chokehold. So the death was ruled as a homicide by the medical examiner. Um, but the mayor of New York was saying, we need to hold off and wait for the investigation to be finished before we pass judgment. But in my opinion, I just feel like this reminds me of Ahmaud Arbery and Trayvon Martin, where regular citizens feel like they are empowered and deputized to basically police uh, Black people that are doing ordinary things like jogging, walking through a neighborhood, talking loudly, uh, playing loud music. And you feel as if because these are Black people that you can police them using any amount of force that you deem uh, reasonable or necessary well i'm gonna jump in there because i'm gonna disagree with that for this case um i rode subways and there are people on the subway that commit crimes for one they do hurt people they might be acting irrational now i'm not saying what penny did was um I was going to use a word that's not appropriate. Um, what this would you, by Penny? You mean the guy's name? Yeah, Daniel Penny is the uh, Marine okay. that put um, Jordan Neely in the chokehold. Um, I'm not saying he did it because he was black. 
a lot of passengers reported that he would be erratic and somewhat dangerous and frightening. Now, I wasn't on the subway, um, but and this is first count in in two of the articles I read, they had like five or six people to say like, they're sorry what happened to him, but he was acting irrational. Do I think Mr. Penny should have used a different approach? Yes. And I, and I was going to say, because of the same reason you said this man was slight a built. Right. And so I don't think that if you would have took him down and just sat on his back, you know, um, that, that that would have been good enough. You didn't have to put him in a, you didn't have to subdue him by a chokehold, you know, um, which, you know, killed him. So I do, but I'm not going to say the reason why. Just hold him down and call the right. But I don't, I'm not going to say, I, I'm not, I can't sit up here and say, I don't know, Mr. Penny. Um, I can't sit up here and say his intentions was like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to take this brother out because he's black and he's scaring everybody. Um, okay, I, I, but, after, I say, but, but Dr. I, a, Dr. Yeah. a, after three minutes, he was dead. So why are you holding a, why are you choking a dead body for another 10 minutes? Why? That's just depraved to me. Uh, that's evil and depraved. And you can look at, I mean, somebody that's skinny, you can see he's not carrying any weapons. He's not. He doesn't have a bomb strapped to him. Oh, let me ask so you. So why this do you question. feel the you, need? You go on this. Let me why ask do you. This feel the need why to you, save why everybody why on the train for what? Okay. Have you have you drove the train? I was gonna say you ain't never been on a subway. Train. Have you ever been on a subway where people act irrational? I know you in DC. Yes, and that's what I'm. Yes, right. and that's D- what I'm DC, saying. But DC trains are sanitized. Like if you you never wrote like I've been on a New York subway a lot when I spent my summer in New York. I caught the train every day, and the one time I was accosted in New York was by a homeless person after I came out of the train station. So I I, I get it, and in Philly trains are, are, are similar. Shantae, you you can say yeah, this are similar yeah. are similar to New York trains. So when we come to DC and we see how y'all ride the metro, we're like ooh ah because the metro is nice like that's not what we're used to so to be in an enclosed moving car where this person is walking up and down and and screaming that he ready to hurt somebody i'll go back to jail because i ain't scared and i'm hungry it's a different environment and as a woman who's been in those situations you get fearful for your personal safety because you're in an enclosed car train car and you can't really go anywhere. And this person is pacing up and down. And you don't know if this is the point where he's going to break. Or clearly he's having some sort of episode. So I, I, where I would appreciate the men stepping in to at least get him under control physically, I think the amount of force used was excessive. I don't think that the man had to die. But for those of us who grew up in those big cities and have caught the train, we understand what it feels like to be in the... I mean, you get on a train every day, somebody's dancing, singing, you know, asking for money, pop, and they, there's no boundary. Like, they come in your face. It's a different environment. So I understand the people on the train not wanting to see a man die, but also not wanting to feel threatened and insecure in their personal safety. 
Right. And that that was something that I was discouraged by because I, I, I have to admit, I did not watch the whole video because I just I have to protect my mental health and I just can't watch any more snuff films of black men being killed. I just can't do it. But from everything that I've read and heard, nobody said, wait, stop, you're going to kill him. Like, it's enough that you're holding him down. You know what I mean? And I totally get what you guys are saying about erratic behavior from people on trains. Um, but I think if you are a regular subway rider in New York, you get you get accustomed to it. And people knew this guy and knew that he was not a violent person. People and knew him, but that doesn't mean the riders on that train at that moment knew who this guy was. And even if I may have seen him before, it doesn't mean that I'm not aware that he could be threatening. Even if he slight a bill, like a man to me, any man screaming and out of their mind on a train is going to be threatening to my personal safety. Like I'm not going to feel secure. The train is moving and he's pacing back and forth, screaming all kinds of things. Like that's to me, I'm like, please let someone come get him. Like I, so I've been in on this train, So if you were on this train, you feel like you would have appreciated what Mr. Penny did. Is that what you I feel saying? like I would have appreciated the men on the train coming to subdue him. Do I believe the force was excessive? Yes. But the idea that someone could stop okay. him from potentially hurting anyone else on the train. I, yes. I, 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 I would want that as a person who rode the train for a long time. It's a slippery, it's a slippery. What say you, Doctor A? How do you see? Slippery slope. But I just think it's a slippery slope because we're we're depending on regular citizens to make these determinations about what force is uh, appropriate in a specific situation, and it's not for regular citizens to determine. And that is why I mean the cops don't do any better. <laughs> yeah, well, they are they, but they are authorized and trained to make the determination, yeah. not regular citizens. And so, so if a cop is not if a, if a cop is not there, what should happen? He should okay. If you feel like the everybody on the train is in imminent danger, you hold you're him down. You taking, taking it too far. Like I said, you're what throwing you mean it. I'm taking it too far because you're. You you you're not considering yourself being on that train and being frightened. I say I say hold him down and call the transit police. Why can't so, you do that? The man looked like he was we, we, all said, we all three of us said the uh it was excessive force. I don't have an issue with that. But the way you're going about describing Penny to me is not fair. Right. So he what, did got I say, into, what did I say about Penny? You 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 were saying that I'm tired of and you were speaking generally, but people deputizing themselves to do something to black folks. Right. Like that was his intentions. His intentions was like to sue this man that seems to be out of control. Right. So and you choke a dead body for, for 10 minutes. You're going too far with it. Like he I went said, too far. we're, we're talking. No, we're, he did. He did go too far. We, we we are saying it was excessive. But what I'm saying, his intention was like, wasn't like, let me get this black man. His intention was like, let me subdue this guy that seems to be out of control. And there's a possibility that he can hurt someone. Then let's look into Penny's training. He's a Marine. 
right? He's a, he might seem, he might have thought he was doing a patriotic duty, right? Or just a, a human, an act of human kindness or uh, heroism, whatever he was thinking, I don't know, right? I can't readily dismiss what you say because I don't know Penny. I don't know his past. But what I'm saying is like the reason why I'm not, I would want somebody to do that too. Okay, but right. here's my problem, Dr. A. Why was Penny interrogated at the scene and then allowed to walk off when a man was just murdered? Well, a man was just I killed. don't know. I'm not arguing that point. So that if, Penny, if, you, if that was you instead of Penny, I promise it, you would be in yeah, jail but right you, now. Here again, this is a straw man argument. You're going, you're making another different argument altogether. We're talking about what he did to Neely. That's all we're talking about. No, I, I don't think we know his intentions. I'm going to say that I don't believe that race did not play a role. I it probably did, but that's I believe that in everything. Um, but I, I will say, as a again, as a person who's rode the train and has been accosted by a homeless person, my physical safety would have I would have felt like my physical safety was threatened, and I would have wanted someone to come in and at least subdue this guy that's paced. Everyone said he paced and he's yelling and he's saying things. And if you're a female passenger on that train, do you feel safe? And if these men step in to subdue him, great. I just say, I think the force was excessive. Would it be murder? I don't think so. But would it be negligent homicide or negligent manslaughter? I would, I would probably opt for that because I think the force was excessive. You can subdue him without having to murder that man. And him being trained as a Marine means he understands what that chokehold does. They know how to kill someone. So it's not, and we've all watched George Floyd get choked to death or, or Eric Gardner get choked to death. So I don't, I think he understood what he was doing. So I don't minimize that. I think as a Marine, he's probably more trained in how to apply those holds and what the effect is than the average person. Well, you just made an argument for an intentional killing and not a negligent. It was intentional. It was intentional. Clearly it was said, intentional. You said negligent homicide. Negligent well, homicide. negligence, duty, breach, causation, damages, like what happens in a negligent act? So did he have a duty? We could question that because he was a passenger on the train. He felt threatened. Can you respond? Yes. Did he breach it by doing, putting a chokehold around his neck? Do we do this level of analysis to determine whether or not this person wrongfully took a life because homicide, the, the coroner saying it's a homicide, it only means that you died at the hands of someone else. No. It doesn't mean that it's criminal. That's just a, uh, a medical analysis of how the person passed away. Okay. Well, I think it's very telling that the citizens in New York and those that were on the train are protesting that Mr. Penny has not been arrested. There are a lot that don't. I have a friend, Shantae, that we went to school with that posted this. She's a New Yorker. And um, I don't know if I should say her name, but um, she said, um, she said, when you listen to the witnesses describe the things he was saying, aggressive, violent and threatening, he wasn't just begging for food. And if I were on the train, I would have been grateful for the 20 year old that took him down, 24 year old, said that he died as a result. But mentally ill or not, when you scare and threaten people, shit happens. And that's what she wrote. She's a New Yorker. She rides the train every day. And it is. It is part of the culture in New York. Like you, you tough enough to ride the trains and get through that process. But was this a social media post? Yes. Okay. And I thought it was interesting because this person that Shantae and I both know is very 
pro-black and radical, but even in this instance, she's like, ah, I kind of get how I would feel in that situation. And until I read it, I was like, yeah, you know what? I probably would feel the same way because again, I've had negative experiences riding the train in the city. Well, perhaps this is an indictment on the inadequacy of services available to people um, in these situations, such as Jordan Neely, that need uh, mental health uh, assistance. Perhaps it's yeah, I you get I get all of that, but when he's screaming on the train, I don't care. When he's screaming yeah. on the train and I feel unsafe, I'm like, you know what? Whatever. I I just can't. I I, I don't know. I just Shantae, you 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 say this a lot because you have empathy for the homeless and and you give money and you you know you're very supportive of those who have issues when you see them. I'm just not. And I'm not because I'm not in the physical, I'm going to go up to a homeless person and speak as I'm not because I have been threatened and I have been followed. I've been hit by a homeless person. Like for me, for me, I would choose that to be, to feel safe. And the but second he anything, I would be freaking out. But don't you think the government has some responsibility in that? I do, but in that case, whether they're transit police are there, they do have security that rides the trains for that reason. They've been working to make it safe, but how, I mean, at some point we're policing the police to police to police. And if you can't get on a public transportation and feel safe, it is really a sad day, but it is reality. I mean, social services as well, though. That's what I'm saying. Social services to help people. like. Can I ask you a question, Kim? Why are you bringing all of this in? Because like it was, it's relevant. It's, it's, I think it's relevant. I think you're going way beyond. Like the incident. Okay, happened. I think we've already confirmed that it was excessive force, but we appreciate that he was trying to protect everyone on the train, but it was excessive force. I think we all agree to that, right? Right. So right. now what? So now what? I mean, we don't want to see this happen again, right? So it, to avoid this happening again, we have to call on the government to help people in these situations so that I we mean, don't there's already them. help out there. I don't want you to dismiss the help that's out there because it is people refuse to I go. I know, but maybe it's, I said the inadequacy, maybe we need more. Hmm. I'm not going to get, we, this, we, I can't get into what I want to talk about as far as mental health issues and how people who have mental health issues refuse to take their medication because it makes them act differently. They don't feel like it, they're their natural self, natural selves and things of that nature. I'm just saying in this case, I was more so, all right, it's been ruled the homicide. Um, what's going to happen to Penny? Like, does he, does he get incarcerated? Does he go to prison for five years? You know, my talk, like everybody doesn't deserve prison. I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm just saying, this is when, and I guess, Ajile, you made the strongest argument because you said being a Marine, he knows these tactics and he probably knows other tactics that he could have used um, and Jordan Neely would still be here. So I think we have to judge him, uh, Mr. Penny, on that alone. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I feel bad for... Uh, Jordan Neely, um, I feel sad for his family, but I'm just saying I do understand um, 
about how people are frightened when they're drive they're riding on a subway that's underground and it's moving. It's not like it was at a stop where people would could have just got out, got off, right, right, and, wait, and waited for the next train, which has been done. I've done. Yeah, some people do that, and other people like they go to a different train or you walk through the cars. But a lot of people don't want to change or walk through the cars when the train is moving. Yeah, so I just you, get out and wait yeah, for the next train. That's you might the, wait to the next stop, but the next stop could be five, ten minutes away. Yeah. So I mean, you do. I, I, you do what you have to in New York. Your safety is more important than anything. So, uh, okay, yeah. I will defer to the two New Yorkers. <laughs> no, I'm a Philly girl. I'm a Philly girl. But you live <laughs> in New York. I, I, I spent some time in New York, and I ride the train in Philly too. Okay. Let us move on. All right. Okay, this is our second plug of the day. This is our brand. And for a brand today, we're going to use Ajila and I's alma mater, Morgan State University. I feel we're left all out. started. We're all started, Shante. <laughs> I feel left out today. Uh, HBCU pride, though. Can we all in this together? H-U. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So Morgan State University uh, graduated there in 1991. Uh, it was founded like as a biblical institution institution in 1867. It was Morgan State College all the way up until 1975, like from well 1939 to 1975. It was called Morgan State College. Um, so it's the attendance, the undergrads, uh, 6,461, and the postgrads, uh, 1,302. It is located in Baltimore, Maryland. Blue and orange are the colors. We are the Golden Bears or Bears now. They might have changed that. Um, great institution. Had a great Old time. Spring and Helen. Yeah, Old Spring and Helen. <laughs> Had a great time there. Met some great people there. The one's on the show now uh, with us. Uh, and, oops. Come back, and, but I wouldn't change if I had to do it all over again. I'll go to Morgan State University again. Uh, Me too. That yeah. HBCU experience is like none other, and I just, I, I don't. It was the best. I, I I'm glad that. Well, and it was free for me, so. <laughs> I was an honor student. Remember, I was an honor student, so nice. I was on scholarship. <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely. So that is it, Morgan State University. We have a question. It's a question. Address the question. This is a question. So what's the question? Answer the question. All right. The question of the week is a girl fell off a 50 foot ladder, but didn't get hurt. How come? Remember, make sure that you email us at 
pot liquor show at gmail.com answer the questions first one to answer the question will get a prize so please log on i I mean email us at this address how come sounds very black i don't i don't know where that came from but that's so black how come (laughs) (laughs) why come why come why should it be what's the reason (laughs) why (laughs) but you know hey how come it's it's cool it just sounds very black. That's how we talk, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> how come? All right. Let us move on. But I heard that. Some people don't like the way. Okay. This is a new segment right now. It is called Topic Talk. Email us if you think we can change it to something else. But there was a huge uh, talk the past, what is it, week and a half uh, about Ebony Williams. Um, she is an attorney. She was on Real Housewives of New York. She's done a lot of things too. She used to be on uh, Fox News. Yeah, so she had a talk with somebody pronounced I- it's Iyala, right? Van Zandt? Yeah, Iyala. Iyanla. Don't forget the N. Iyanla. Iyanla. Iyanla Van Zandt. Okay. And she <laughs> said to, well, the question was asked to her, would she date a bus driver? Her first response was like, <laughs> if he owned a bus. <laughs> If he owned a bus. And then, uh, of course, this question and this response went viral. And uh, people have been talking about it. And I guess we're not here to excoriate uh, um, attorney uh, Williams. Definitely not. We're just talking about, given the climate of uh, Black male and female relationships in this country and the shortage of uh, eligible African-American males. This was an interesting question because we would both say like when you're picking a mate, you try to pick somebody that's compatible. Um, and and Kim, you also said during our pre-production, meaning it's the timing of when you pick a mate uh, makes a difference too. Yeah, what you want in your twenties is different than what you probably will take in your thirties, and your forties, and your fifties. So, what say you about her answer? I will not date a bus driver, or well, just not dating a bus driver altogether. Uh, I she. Uh. Okay, this is this is hard for me to approach because she just got excoriated for saying that um, because it just felt like she was demeaning bus drivers. But I think what she did was she pivoted because this all started when she interviewed Iyanla Van Zandt on the Griot. And she, she said that she wanted to interview her because... Iyama had said that um, women are being trained to be men 
in skirts. So Iyanla has this thing about femininity versus masculinity. And so while they were having this conversation about the traits, you know, that women have versus uh, the traits that men have, um, Iyanla asked Ebony, would she date, you know, Iyanla was the one who brought up this whole bus driver thing. Would you date a bus driver? So, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think she put, she sort of uh, received backlash. And once she received this backlash from saying, no, I wouldn't date a bus driver unless he owned the bus. She got all this backlash and people were saying, oh, you're looking down on um, the working class, uh, working class black men and you're demeaning them. And so I think what she did was it, to uh, respond to this backlash, she pivoted because I also listened to the Breakfast Club interview um, when they were asking her to clarify what she meant. And I think she pivoted and said, I'm not looking down on uh, black people. I'm just saying that you know, because, you know, my mother's a bus driver. I'm not looking down on, but my mother was a bus driver. I'm not looking down on them. I'm just simply saying that as black people, we need to elevate ourselves and we need to be better than just mediocre and settle for average, everyday, mundane uh, positions. And I think she was just digging a deeper hole for herself. But I would just say in general, as far as, you know, dating in general among Black people, I have to agree with Iyanla Van Zandt that this is, that you sh there's, there shouldn't be a problem with dating a bus driver if the person is has integrity, it has character, is responsible, is reliable, is loyal, is loving, is honest, is a person who is going to be a good mate. So that's just me. But I think obviously everybody's entitled to have their list of the things that they want. So, and again, I'll reiterate that it's going to change depending on whether you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s. Because when you're in your 20s, you just want somebody that is going to look good and that's going to, you know, like the things that you like and you're compatible and you're going to have fun together. And then as you get older and you have to start building a life and being responsible and making a home, you want somebody who's a little more, you know, you, you're going to relax on the physical requirements and you want somebody who is going to maybe earn enough money for you to afford, um, the things that you need in life, like a home and a car and, you know, the basic necessities of life. But, you know, for me, when you get to be um, Ebony K. Williams's age, when you start getting into your 40s and your 50s, presumably you have established yourself more in your career. You have accumulated some of the necessities and things in life that you want. And so, I agree with Iyanla. Why are you depending so much on someone else to provide that for you? Because that, that was a part of it, too. Ebony K. Williams was saying, you know, part of masculinity is for or, or, or the responsibilities of a man is to provide and protect. And she was Ebony K. Williams was saying 
all of my life, I've had to depend on, I, I didn't have a man, you know, starting with my father, he was absent. I didn't have a man to provide and protect for me. So I had to do that for myself. So my question is, okay, so why are you depending so much on a man to provide and protect when you said that you have that for yourself? You, you are a, a woman of a certain, um, socioeconomic status so you have money so why are you putting so much pressure on a man to have all this money you know so i think for her it's her definition of provide is to elevate my life i'm here i need you to upgrade me like beyonce said upgrade let me upgrade you you know what i mean like i want to upgrade you if you're you know driving a ferrari i'm gonna upgrade you to a rolls i don't know a rolls royce and now you can go you know have a vacation on a yacht in, but that's the opposite the South, you know Pacific you, you just, or whatever. ebony williams right. is looking to be upgraded beyonce says let me upgrade, me upgrade you yeah right. speaking from <laughs> a different standpoint as a woman you know she's saying like i can help you right and that 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 is one of the most beautiful things but i think you know she was talking to jigger though <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole different beast she was talking yeah, to jigger. Could, ain't she, too many dudes coming like jigger so let we can take them out the argument go ahead, Sha. But, go ahead. But what i'm saying is like those are refreshing words um, when you hear a woman say that, um, to me, you know, um, because we're trying, and when I say we are, I'm talking, and I don't like to talk for all men, but brothers, a men in general, because of the stereotypes and the gender stereotypes, that's what we're supposed to do. Wait, oh, sorry. We're, we're, supposed, to to, we're supposed to provide and protect. And remember, I will, I will I will say this. These are social constructions. Um, but, you know, we live by these social constructions because they're out there, you know. So, yeah, we 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 put girls in pink and boys in blue, you know, um, and things of that nature. Women do inside work in the house and men do the outside work, so on and so forth. Men are supposed to go out and bring home the bacon, so to speak. Um, and you know I, I i i don't know if y'all remember this commercial i forgot it i, I think it might have been a a perfume the woman i could bring home the bacon fried fried up up in the pan. <laughs> never ever ever let you forget yeah. you a man, man. yeah because i'm a woman usually right. it was something like that yeah, yeah. right so, my name i remember you know we're in the same generation this is gender construction right there i understand what williams is trying to say i think if we sat down with her individually or if she came on this show um or without being on a podcast like without any media involved i think she would agree to a lot of things that we say. It's complicated. It's not a blueprint for this uh, thing. Um, I just know times have changed. And what I mean by that is in the 70s, even though black women were working, I remember growing up on Long Island and all the women, black women came out from Brooklyn and Queens on the train and they got picked on the up. the train? Yeah. <laughs> 
on the train. It's like, nah. <laughs> and they came, they came out and white folks would pick them up and bring them to their houses and they would be made and they would help. They'd be nannies, help raising their kids. You know, like a lot of my friends um, had black maids in their household. Um, and that was a lot of work that folks did back then. I'm not saying there weren't any professional people. There were, especially down further south, you, you would go. But a lot of women weren't in the workplace heavy like they are now, or like it started like late 70s and then 80s, it, 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 it exploded. And then, you know, now it's just, it's normal. And so I think like roles in the house should be shared today more so if you're comfortable with doing something yeah um and if you're not comfortable with doing something that's something you can talk about but not choosing somebody without getting a chance to talk to them or talk to them and know their backgrounds and know what type of person they are i think if you're single you're shooting yourself in the foot I agree. I agree. And I think, even said that the standard that we're using to judge men in our society, she said it's off and it's obsolete. She says it's not bad or wrong, but it's obsolete. And I agree with you. I, I, I agree with yeah. what you're saying. It's, it's, it, it, I, th I just think it's, it, it's a harsh standard right. um, to require a man. He needs to be making $300,000 or whatever your number is. I just don't I don't I, I don't think that's prudent for a woman, especially if a black woman wants to be in a in a in a, a committed relationship with a black man that I think you might have to uh, reprioritize your list of, of requirements. And I'm not saying you, you shouldn't require a man to be employed or you shouldn't require a man to have a certain uh, socioeconomic status, but maybe it should not be at the top of the list. That that's just, that's just me because I agree with Iyanla that the standards by which that the standards that we're using to judge men in our society is outdated. It's obsolete it, because, because women are um, more educated and, um, able to take care of themselves and don't have to depend on a man to have the basic necessities of life. So why are we putting these harsh standards on our men? These are good men for the most part. And I, and I have to say, I'm biased. I have only had honorable black men in my life, starting with my father, my husband, my brothers, my, you know, most of the, my friends, like Dr. A, all are honorable men. So I look around me in my circle and I just see honorable black men. So is anybody a bus driver? There are, there are some men in my circles, not necessarily. Well, my cousin is a bus driver. Um, he, he drives for uh, Metro in DC. So yes. And he's an honorable man. Um, and so, and they may be blue collar workers. All of them don't have college degrees, but they are, they, they're honorable men. And I think that's what, what you want. That's, that's how you build families with people who are I responsible. Think, I think before you jump in, G, let me just say this. The, you know, I'm, I'm semantics. The word harsh, I, I won't go, I won't say that the standards 
a harsh. I don't. I don't like to define it that way. I oh, define yeah. it more like what I, Iana said. Like, like the okay. standards that we're using are kind of obsolete. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. antiquated. Yeah. Um, I, I, harsh is just like if you're brought up that way. I understand why you you would think that way. Um, I would just say I would encourage you to try to look at things uh, from a different approach and see if that works for you. Who are you speaking to? Just women, black women in general? Or me? Or no, I think uh, Ebony's um, argument was, I guess, because if you watch the whole clip, she said, well, I'm not, she said, well, I've dated black, white, I've dated them all, and men just don't seem to be stepping up to the plate in the same way as women, and, you know, now we have to adjust what we the pool is not available is actually what she was saying. There's not a pool of men that have the same level of education income as, you know, these women. And so Iyala's response was, would you date a bus driver? Right. And I agree that, you know, there are far more bus drivers in America than there are NBA players. So you're going to have a, a greater population, in, you know, blue collar workers that you would be, that would be available to you than you would um, men who make, over $2 million a year. However, um, they're not mutually exclusive attributes. I'm not saying that I want a man that has a JD, and but he's not going to be a man of integrity and he's not going to be a man that takes care of his family and loves his mama and has, I think another clip that y'all said, and has taken care or has provides for every child that he has sired onto this planet. So I, there are attorneys and, and um, doctors and, you know, other professionals who also fit the bill. And what we're saying is they're not enough of those available. So because they're not enough of those men available, would you date a bus driver? Because now that opens up another, um, cool. category of people that would be available to you to date. Right. Right. And then how many how many couples do we know that have a gazillion dollars that are getting a divorce? So it's not all just about the money. I mean, you can get right, a man but poor people get divorced too every day. Money. Like it's not a bus bus driver. They get divorced too. Yeah. Right, yeah. Kenny, the bus driver, get divorced, and he down there, right. and he he's screwing the chick that worked dispatch at the company, and so they both did a guy. Like, like it's not my. It's, it is the total picture. That's why when people keep saying to me, like as as a I said, I have been, I was married young. I got married at twenty five. And I got divorced at now, I think, 48. So I was married over 20 years. So I understand marriage, but I also now at 53 understand what it's like to be single and having dated over the past five or six years and dated a variety of only black men. I haven't dated outside my race, but of black men and come and been approached by a lot of men. And I can tell you the pool has, they say the pool has pee in it. Yeah, we swimming in a pool that has pee in it. And I continue to say, even if you are getting approached, I get approached and I, my analogy to you was people, I don't eat meat and people keep offering me bacon. I've never had pork in my life. Bacon doesn't taste good to me. It's not what I like. 
right? But people keep offering me bacon. They're like, G-Lay, this is bacon. You want this bacon? It's great. It's great. I'm like, I don't eat bacon. I don't like it. I'm not going to try it. No, I don't like it. And that's what the pool feels like. But now it's not so, because somebody else could look at that bacon and they love bacon. Most people, they love bacon and can't see a life without it. So that bacon is good for somebody, just not good in my situation. But now I'm finding the pool is not bacon. The pool is chitlins, half-cooked chitlins. You're basically saying the pool is full with pigs. And I'm just saying there's a variety of animals in there and fish in there to choose from. It ain't just pigs. No, I'm saying that whatever it is that you you're being offered something that doesn't really suit you. Like and bacon is good. People love bacon. There's a whole culture around bacon. And that bacon may be good for someone, but it doesn't suit a G leg because that's not in my in my diet. And I, I've never eaten pork. So now I'm finding that I'm being offered half cooked chitlins. I'm like, I'm never going to eat that. And they're like, chick, you get hungry enough. You want to eat it. That means if when you lonely enough, you're going to date whoever, whomever. And I'm saying, well, no, I, I I just I, I would like a good meal. I would like to have an option of several good meals that fit my situation. No, I'm not going to eat the bacon or drink, date the bus driver because he not what I like. Okay, but can I ask you a personal question? Number one, mm-hmm. your divorce, did it have anything to do with, without revealing anything that you don't want to reveal? Did it have anything to do with finances? And then number two, tell us now that you are, um, divorced and you are open to dating. Can you tell us what is on your list and the order in which those? Let me say this. Like I mean, my Chante can attest to this. I was married for a long time and we've had, we had a long history. So, so I'm not going to discuss that because that's, you know, my sons, I, I just, Okay. Respectfully for my children. However, um, my ex-husband and I are still really good friends. If you saw a G-Lay and Cedric at our, during my marriage, we were, you know, Michelle and Barack. I got a law degree. He has three master's degree from Hopkins. He's a finance guy. We fit whatever this new black bourgeoisie would be. We had two little kids, a white picket fence, the whole nine. Well, it wasn't money. I'm sorry? So money wasn't the issue. No, I'm saying that everything was the issue. We had every issue that you journey through life with with a partner. I'm sure you've been married a long time too, right, Kim? You've had money discussions with your husband. Life is better when you don't have to worry about money, but you still have to have those discussions. You've had family issues. We've had death and a lot of things happen. Um, I always say we've had finance, family, and fidelity are the things that break up a marriage. Mm-hmm. Finance, family, and fidelity. So those things really are a combination. The finance part of it is a big deal. If we have to argue about paying rent or if we're getting our lights shut off, that's a big deal for people. So you're right. If I don't want to take care of myself, I don't need Dante to make, <laughs> if he can't provide. And I don't mean like, um, that I need him to survive, but I need him as a partner in this journey. And right. so I understood what she was saying when she said, well, he owned the company because I, I kind of feel that way. Like at 50 something now, when I got married at 25, we, neither one of us had anything. So we grew together. But at 53, you should be any man I'm dating should come fully loaded. Yeah. 
That's all I'm saying. And that's I kind of understood what you that, said. Yeah, that's yeah. not unreasonable. I think Williams' conversation was more. I know she said if she if he owned a bus, if he yeah, if he owned a bus, me it was more along the lines of education, um, because unless you if you're looking for that two two hundred and fifty thousand dollar person, more than likely they're gone at an early age, um, because that is definitely unprotected. They're in a relationship, not gone. You said they're gone. You You mean mean like relationship? Yeah, they're not. They're obligated in the relationship. Everybody else committed. They're committed and taken already. Right. Right. So that's difficult. There are ways you can do, even my friends, and I do have some friends that want men with money, and I tell them all the time, well, you're partying in the wrong place, and you're not doing the right things to capture those individuals. And sometimes, and two of my good friends are like, yeah, I don't like those places. They're boring and corny to me. And I say, okay. yeah, I get that. What I are the places? That. Let's give our, our listeners some tips. Where should I be going? So okay. I can help this rich right. man. Do you play golf? Do you like? <laughs> okay. So, well, there you have one country clubs, right? That you can join. You have different uh, political parties um, and organizations. Uh, that you can be a part of and go to charitable events, uh, do service events and community um, outreach events. I would say churches, but let me specify, I would say a black mega church, you know, um, you know, not to knock any other church, but I'm just saying if you're looking for that individual that's making that type of money you uh, or combat, let, let me say not making that type of money, com- compatible with your finance the finances you bring in right so i i get that you need to go to these places some of my friends they they date online but they date on the free sites mm, yeah. i think you need to date on a site that might cost 99 you know listen i'm gonna say this that doesn't mean those men are the best men but it takes away one of your things, which is if money is the thing you're looking for first, okay, that's out the way. Now let's focus on is the he... The other traits, right. Right, right. Does right. He that's why I'm like, they're not mutually exclusive. I'm going to know a guy with a law degree that's a good dude, that, yeah. that is a good companion. Yeah. I know I've had that experience of dating on a free site and eight out of the 10 dudes had on a neon vest and I was like, for what? I'm like, there's nothing I can do with the dude that wear the neon vest. I'm sorry. Most of them didn't have degrees. They barely got it. Like, it's just not going to be compatible with me. So forgive me. And I'm not elitist in any way. But it just the conversation wouldn't be there. He could be good to his mama, but the limited amount of the limited level of the conversation just would not keep me interested. We couldn't. So, that's why I say to me sometimes, and I, I I've been out enough. Like looks can conquer a lot of things. It's just like oh he fine. Like I mm-hmm. hear that, especially mm-hmm. that a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I can attest to that. Yeah. I don't testify. But even that gets boring after no, but, a while. But, but I'm saying that person, if he's wearing the neon vest, gets a chance at the conversation. Because you're like, all right, he look good. 
And then right. also, then, then that neon vest is interpreted. Well, that's a city, that's a city <laughs> job or a government job. So he makes some money, right? Yeah. That's interpreted that way. Then, then you got to see, is he has the conversation? Me, I, I, we all have advanced degrees, right? Um, and I would say I, I hang out with some brothers that don't have degrees, but those brothers I hang out with are well read. So I'm attracted to like good conversation, right? I'm attracted to debates and things of that nature. That's what I like in a person because that's been me and everybody listening to this that knows me knows that's been me, period, since I was a young kid. So I like discussion, engaged discussion. Um, I don't like it to get, you know, but that's what I'm attracted to. You know, so if your intelligence, I forgot what they say. That's the most uh, uh, attractive thing to me. So you don't have to have an advanced degree to be to to be able to have an intelligent conversation. No, you you don't. Yeah, you can just be a well-traveled, well-read person. But but then you run into the person that read three books and they use those words and you know that they're limited to whatever they just engage in. And it's like you got to filter through all of these conversations. And what I'm what. I get from this is as women in general, especially black women who have higher levels of education, higher levels of degree, completion of high advanced degrees um, than our male, black male counterparts, that's in some way now, because of just, I, I would tell Shantae, it's not that I don't believe it. I just know that the numbers are not there. If the numbers were available, we would all be happy. But when you go out in any environment now, and I and I do this, and I think we have, Dr. A, have this have had this conversation and just did our own kind of um, empirical analysis of what the social world looks like now. If you go to any type of event, they're all, or go to Sunday brunch. In the, in the DMV, brunch is everything on a Sunday, right? If you go to a brunch spot, the hottest spot now, there are tables full of Black women together. There are tables full of couples together. And never, very rarely do you see a table full of black men. If you see a table full of black men, it might be like Shantae, you and your line brothers out, they chilling, they having a good Sunday brunch. But if you canvas that table, most of those men are spoken for. So where is the pool of available men? You can go to any environment. I've been to the wine festivals, the conferences, the just name whatever. There's always numbers are just not there. And I, I'm not saying that we can't find a person. It's just numerically those women with the jobs and the degrees outnumber the comparable black man with the same type of credentials. There's one place definitely where men uh, outnumber women. And I tell folks this all the time. And that's sports bars. Sport events, right. Yeah. And you know how many Sundays me and my girl sitting up in sports bars? <laughs> it's like, but even then, a lot of the men there, we have a good time, chit chat, they buy you drinks, pay for your food, but they got to go home. And they yeah, go I mean, home to somebody. It's, 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 I, I like when you say, when, uh, you know, Ajile and I talk often, but I like when you do say, when you use your age group. Um, some I, because right. I'm in education right. and academics, I meet people who are 20 years younger than me that, you know, have advanced degrees or whatever, and they're working at an institution. So they become work colleagues. So they're on the same hunt, but their hunt at age 33 is different, different. than hunt at, at, at 53. Um, and so 
I would say people get a little, the, the older you get, the more relaxed your standards are. I'm not saying your standards change. I just think they're a little bit more, more relaxed than they are when, as Kim said, you're in your 30s. And for them, when they go to the brunches and I tell them, hey, try a sports bar. When they go to a sports bar, sometimes they come away because men will date younger, like way younger. Uh, but a woman in their 30s have to be willing to date a man that's 40 two years old um if they're yeah. in the early 30s where a lot of older women are like yeah i'm not playing that cougar jaguar role you know that might be fun it wouldn't even be so bad but like we've even had this experience and this was interesting we were out at like a local place me and my girlfriends and we go in and there were men about our age and they're like oh hey y'all and they buy drinks and we're all hanging out and just having a good time the music is playing and eventually during the night this guy comes over and he's um starts talking to us and asking us what we like to do and him and his friends we could go hang out but the guy was like 30 something and he was saying he and his friends were looking for wives right and we're like whoa and um he's like yeah so you know you want to go do and his name is the horseback riding if you want to go do these other things and we're like okay but um you're young and he's like well how old are you guys and we're like older and he's like well you know we could still hang out and, and we're like no because you're looking for a wife and right. you should but we've all been wives we all have children we've all been divorced in my the women that I was with that night. And we are in a different stage of life than this 30 something who's looking to hang out. But what he saw was, and what he told us was, oh, do you guys seem like you're having a good time? You're a, a nice group of women. Y'all were talkative, approachable, which was a big deal for him at his age. You guys were approachable, but there's that imbalance because it depends on where you are in life exactly, as to what you're looking for. So for a woman to go with a man that's in his 30s unless he's been married and had children he's not really an option because we're past well we might want to get married again but we're past having children mm -hmm. and so it becomes a you know a play on where you are in life and exactly what your experiences are so for me at 53 i would want a man who hopefully had been married mm -hmm. had um yeah, has children. His children are older like you know i don't really want to date a man with a 3 year old like Mm -hmm. Or he could be in his 30s and maybe he doesn't want children. There are some men who don't there want There are some men like that, but I, I don't know. I feel like you would be Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> At some point, you know, he's going to go get the 30-year-old version of you and have a couple of kids. Not that he didn't love Demi, but he just, you know, it just it, it's going to have a, a expiration date. Okay, so at this point in your life, just give me socioeconomic status, combat compatibility, and physical appearance. How do, how do you how would you rank those in, on your list of requirements? Oh, that's hard. Because physical appearance, Shantae's gonna say physical appearance matters to a G leg. So no, she I, I wouldn't say that's your number one thing. Well, I wouldn't say that was my number one thing either because I think I have dated men that look vastly different. So I don't think I have a requirement with that um per se. Well, they just gotta look good. Like they gotta look good to me, whatever that yeah. is. They just gotta look good. Um, but 
finances, I would say, you know, the characteristics of the man is important. The level of intelligence is important combined with education. That's important to me. And the, the finances are important. And then the other stuff will come into play because okay. I'm older now. Like I said, the profile of the man that I would want now is different than the profile of the man that I dated. I mean, that I married at 25. At 25, we were college kids. And even then, Kim, you can say this, when you were in college, you wouldn't have dated a guy that didn't go to college. If you went back to your old neighborhood or wherever, you wouldn't have dated, you were in school. You're like, I'm not dating a guy that barely graduated from high school. And now he's out here, you know, sweeping yeah. the streets wearing his neon vest. Actually, mm. that's not true. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've dated uh, people that didn't have degrees when I was in college and law school. It's not. I mean, because, and that's what I mean by- For how long? Know. Was that a date? Yeah, or was it that was, like, yeah, it was, yeah. I, I, I've engaged with some people that was, you know, not- well, like, I mean, they had a chance though. She's still giving them a chance. Right. Because I felt okay. like I was young. I, I, I wasn't choosing a husband. I was right. just dating. You so know when you mean? started to add that filter to choose a husband, those requirements became a little different. True. Mm. True, but the, the 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 man that I just fell in love with and who proposed to me just happened to have a college degree, but he wasn't making a gazillion dollars. No, my husband wasn't at the time either. But we yeah, grow. I was going to say that earlier when yeah, because you twenty something. Yeah, you, right. You guys were looking at the promise of a greater future, right? right. And the trajectory, you know, your level of education was going to take you on. Um, <laughs> So that's there. But I there's a lot of guys I know that didn't go to college that I don't down vocational school. Like um, the man that comes out goes to vocational school. Say he's a barber, you know, um, he going to make the money that you're looking for. Because I know barbers who have two barber shops and. They make, I know barbers that make a way more than I make, yeah, and now make, I got all these degrees. Ton, and I know some they make a ton of money. money, and then I know you know a couple of, in Baltimore that, and those are you know I used to hang out when I was living in Baltimore, and the Gile knows them mm -hmm. both. Like they're highly intelligent gentlemen, um, but um, that they were plumbers, electricians, any kind of vocation. Now they make money because those, right. those are the things that we need. So they're, they're going to be productive as, as people and citizens and have families, buy houses, all of that. And I, I could live with that, but he would just have to be able to have a good conversation too. And want to travel the world. Like I have a friend who's um, dated a person who didn't want to do anything. He's fine being home. I wouldn't date a man that played video games. Like that's just not Right. I wouldn't be interested in that. All right, we're gonna wrap it on up on that one. Let us move on. So today our little known black history fact is going to be Sarah Marinda Logan Frazier. 
Sarah Miranda Logan Fraser was born on January 29th, 1850. And in 1876, she became the first woman to get a medical degree from Syracuse University School of Medicine. And she was also the first female doctor in the Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. And she was also the fourth African-American woman to become a doctor in the United States. Sarah Marinda Logan Fraser, a little known black history path. All right. I love this song. Let us move on. I like, I like, I like it. I like, I like it. All right, this is our last brand for the day, and it is our podcast. This is called Ratchet and Respectable. Uh, Demetria Lucas, a cultural critic and author of A Bell in Brooklyn and Don't Waste Your Pretty, muses on pop culture shenanigans dating and relationships and everything worth watching on any size screen so gee you're an, you're an avid listener tell us a little bit yes about i love her podcast she actually got me into listening to podcasts because i really wasn't listening before but um she actually tra- moved from the U.S. and was living in Ghana, and now she's in South Africa. And so she chronicles her travels um, on her Instagram and in her um, podcast. And you just get to follow her journey as a, I think she's 40 something single black, she's divorced black woman, um, just living her best life and exploring the world. And one of her hashtags is see some world and you get to see the world. And she takes beautiful pictures on safari and all the places that she's gone. So even though she was living in Ghana, she traveled to other countries in Africa. Now she's in South Africa. She went to Cape Town and she's done like she went to Tanzania, she went to Mozambique. So she's seen the continent and given us the glory and the beauty of the continent. So I just, I love watching her travel. She has inspired me to want to see some world. Okay, so that's ratchet and respectable. And let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, (laughs) hell no. Okay, so I all hell no today. Two 10-year-old children were found working at a Louisville's McDonald restaurant uh, sometimes until 2 in the morning. This is a report coming from the U- U.S. Department of Labor. Mm-mm-mm-mm. 10 years old? Like, I respect the 10 years old hustle because I'll tell you, at 10 years old, I know I would want to work. <laughs> and you know, these two 10-year-olds weren't even getting paid. You know that, right? They were the, the I think they, they were the children of one of the managers that worked there. So they weren't even getting paid, but there were other children that were also working in. And um, I wonder did they take them there because they no babysitter, right? Right at two a.m. they needed to have the kids with them. They couldn't leave them home, so they like come to work with me. Yeah, exactly. they can be like they can wipe these tables down. <laughs> <laughs> so the Department of Labor also found three other McDonald's franchisees um, uh, that had employed three hundred and five children illegally isn't that crazy wow um and they so they're going to be uh fined 
$212. I mean, $212,000. Well, I was about to say, shoot. You can yeah. start bringing the elementary schools and McDonald's yep. to work for you. For child labor violations. Yep. So this is crazy. What is, is going on in our country? Yeah, that is horrible. As Shame it. on you. Yeah. Got kids dropping fries. And let us move on. Give it up, give it up, give it up, yo. Give it up, give it up, gotta give it up. All right. So the best tennis player to ever play the game, and her husband is expecting their second child, Serena and Alexis, expecting a second child. Uh, so we give it up to them. Congratulations to them. All right. So it's time for us to do our closeout. We always start with our plugs, right? Uh, we had the Yeti. Our brand was Morgan State. And our podcast was Ratchet and Respectable. Words of wisdom came from Jay-Z, the Jigga Man. I think relationships are broken up because of the media. Uh, we talked about what's going on. Clarence Thomas uh, and Harlan Crow, uh, Detroit man that spent 30 hours in jail, uh, and the homeless killing of Jordan Neal. Uh, the question of the week is a girl fell off a 50-foot ladder but didn't get hurt. How comes? We had a news segment today, Topic Talk. And we talked about the about Okay, I don't hear anything. Do you is you yeah, like I lost the sound? We can't hear you, Dr. A. That is really weird. I thought it was me. I'm like, did I have Can't hear you. Nope. Let's okay. There we go. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's run, run that back. There <laughs> <laughs> right, we go. Okay. All Let's right. One more time. All right. So we <laughs> wrapping up again, maybe for a second time for some of y'all, but I do apologize for the technical differences. We had our three plugs today. Our favorite product was Yeti. Uh, our brand was Morgan State University, and our podcast was Ratchet and Respectable. Um, words of wisdom came from Jay-Z, the Jigga Man. I think relationships are broken up because of the media. Um, uh, what's going on topics was Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow. Detroit man spends 30 hours in jail. And a uh, homeless killing of Jordan Neely on the New York subway. Uh, our question of the week was a girl fell off a 50-foot ladder but didn't get hurt how come our topic talk was the new segment was ebony williams not dating a bus driver little known black history fact was sarah ml frazier um i all hell know was the 10 year old children working at a louisville's mcdonald's and we gave it up to serena and alexis uh for expecting their second child uh we'd like to thank our ride-along guest which is ajile f brown esquire she did a great job she'll definitely be back on um we'd love to insight in her knowledge and her experience 
So as always, we all grew up watching Soul Train. And as always, we leave our show with... Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. And as always in parting, we wish you love, peace, and soul. And so, y'all, see y'all next week. Okay.